Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. I'm hanging out in Milan today with my good friend, uh, Valerio Cometti from V12 Design, and we're in his very cool offices in the Navili district. Uh, Val, it's good to see you. I mean, you, you realize, I think you were one of the first people I met when I came to Milan almost 20 years ago. Uh, and of course, after that, I just didn't come back for 20 years. <laughs> of course, well, thank you, thank you, I'm blushing. Absolutely, very good to see you, mate. Very, very happy to see you again. Uh, and I remember um, that, that even then you were, you, you were already quite a famous designer uh, and your business has grown a lot since then. But I, I do remember that famous product you designed around that time, which was a pair of steel stilettos. I completely forgot about that. Yes, as a young mechanical engineer, because I have a very geeky background. Right, you, you know, weren't actually didn't train as a designer, I'm did you? I'm a trained mechanical engineer, and I, I think I won the second spot. We're talking like centuries ago. <laughs> I, I can't believe that you remember uh, for this very well-known fashion Italian Italian fashion brand, and I had designed these pretty pornographic. I wouldn't call them sexy. <laughs> pornographic, entirely made of metal heels. And so maybe yes. sadistic is the word. A little bit, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and I remember at my geekiest point, right after uni, with my engineering degree, getting to the award, winning this award with all these new fashion designers with coloured hair. I barely had hair, so yeah, it was pretty fun. I can't believe you remember, but yes, correct. And I know since then, obviously, you've been involved in designing everything uh, to components for luxury cars, to eyewear. Uh, televisions, uh, but I, I think this is in many ways a very creative spot you're in, not just Milan, but this area. And from what I understand, the canals that I passed on my way here uh, were actually designed by Leonardo da Vinci, is that right? Uh, it, it's a very lively area. Uh, it's also called the Fashion and Design District, so yes, we're in the right spot. Uh, these two canals are very, very important for the city because although we are nearly 300 kilometers away from the sea, hmm. they actually served as a harbor for the city. So they end in this man-made lake called Darsena. And many, if not most, of, of the stones of the manufacture you can see in town have been dragged by, on barges along these canals. Right. And there's a big contribution that Leonardo has done to the hydraulic management of, of the flow of these canals, still in place, still running. So they are they're pretty pretty cool place because they reverse flow during the day yes right? yes i never remember which way they go okay <laughs> but yes the whole point was that you carried the goods in one direction um, during the morning and having the, the the barges coming back out in the afternoon which also keeps the water fresh and clean etc et it's always been something that's amazed me about italian design because it's never just been purely aesthetic there's there's always been a strong engineering and a practical component to, to design in Italy as well. Um, I agree and I would oh, I will give you this twist. I don't know if I would put engineering, although I'm an engineer, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I would put engineering beside Italian design. Engineering design for some reason steers more on the German tradition. I find there's tons of definitions of Italian design, probably most of them wrong. I find design in Italy been witty. You have to have a level of oh, playfulness. 
Yeah, um, or at least a, a surprise. And if it's useful, even better. Uh, it's not quirky. In fact, I'm not sure about the playfulness. Sometimes it happens, you're right. But there has to be, and this is at least my take, okay, of Italian design, the proportions, the details, the materials must all be there. But you, it's not enough. You have to have that special something that either a movement, unexpected, unexpected feature, unexpected finish, something that makes you do a, a wow. So it's something that you look at it with your eyes, but then you want to touch and play and, and interact. Uh, but it's not Italian. just ostentation though, is it? No, 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 uh, at all. Um, although it, it's a particularly tricky question that you can hear me being quite troubled because yeah. right now we're designing for so many different clients from so many different uh, parts of the world, all wanting their slice of Italian design. And we have so carefully to try and give them the true Italian design, not forgetting that for a Korean, for a Chinese, for an American, Italian design can be something different. <laughs> It's a bit like pizza. <laughs> um, so we, we are trying to be quite firm in creating what we believe is truly Italian design. So um, this extra added value, we're now working a lot on furniture, which is quite unusual for us because we often do very technological products, but we, yes. uh, we have a very, very important, we can't claim, claim yet, but very important Asian client. And we're doing all sorts of furniture that has pretty interesting functionality in a incredibly well-crafted and painstakingly honed proportions like you'd expect from Italian And furniture. unusual materials, I think, because I saw in the salon uh, this, this year you had yes. furniture made of stone, wasn't it? Well, this year is all about marble. It, yeah. it, it's almost annoying, although we have done quite a lot of marble, so uh, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> stating it, but uh, I find design suffering a little bit from fashion in this regard. So it's all about the warm copper finish, all about stone. Mm. Uh, two years ago was all about solid wood. I think it's getting a little bit too obvious. Well, you know, when, when IKEA brings out their copper range, you know it's with hit peak copper. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. We've been <laughs> coppered out. So, yes. Uh, how do these different cultures interpret Italian design in different ways? So, a, a Korean who commissions you for a project, in their mind, when they're hiring an Italian company, how would they differ, say, to a Chinese mainland company? Um, it, it, it is a bit difficult, I must admit. Uh, when they approach us, and we're very happy they do, uh, they very often have a distorted idea, idea of what they get. So what we normally try is we get them to... I'm a boxer, so we, to lower their guard a bit. So we're like, okay, why don't you show us something that you really like of Italian design and they very often, or also international, don't get me wrong. So to grasp a little bit of their taste and their taste is so often disaligned with their brief, design brief, design expectation. <laughs> so you're like, okay, okay. So you wanted this, but you like this. And patiently, friendly, uh, we try and stitch expectations and their background, always being very careful and never coming across as cocky or arrogant because we, we hold the truth at all. You can't do that. <laughs> But you cannot just send renderings overnight and just hope for the best. 
their expectations are incredibly different. Uh, sometimes in the end, do they just want what they wanted, but with an Italian accent? If you if you don't have this uh, risky interaction, yes, they, you will send them Korean design back to Korea, American design, blah blah blah. But I would have failed if I did that. So that's why we add this fairly risky because some clients get bored. Like, oh, but, but do it, and no, 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 no. Let's talk about it. Let's go through, and at the end, we luckily managed to deliver Italian design, which is. And that's the tricky part. It's not a certain type of shape. That is the hardest, on one hand, is the hardest thing to explain. Because if you close your eyes and you think of Scandinavian design, I think, although I love it, it's easier to find a morphologic pattern hmm. in Scandinavian design. To me, Italian design is about the method. It hasn't got an expected physical output. Yes, the quality of the manufacturing is is expected but yes. because we have such a strong manufacturer but in terms of object to me it's about the the method behind creating the idea so the that is very italian uh, the what is that method it's a restlessness in um, going deep into the object um, to me good italian design cannot stay on the surface to, to, to a level of prettiness and it has to bring innovation. If you look back also in the 60s, some of the nowadays most iconic products, I say this fellow was sitting beside an eagle from Bion Vega, Bion Vega, mm. total icon, but he had so many inno innovative elements. It's bigger cousin, the Doné, uh, it looks like a rounded dice that shape was given by the technological constraint of CRT, blah, 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 blah. And that depth is almost forgotten unless you're in the business mm. and you look at the prettiness and you look at the handle. And the, but there's a tradition of looking. It's always been a very poor industry. This is not German industry. So we always had to scrape the barrel for leftover technologies and make them unbelievable. Hmm. It also happened in the automotive industry. Alfa Romeo in the 70s had very poor resources but made amazing engines. So this uh, wittiness, cleverness... And, and Lamborghini was a tractor company, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, that to me is, is the Italianness of it. Uh, so it's not a shape, it's not a color scheme, it's not a certain material, it's making sure that inside the sexy body that you have done, there's something that no one has done before, very well blended with the shape. So it's not Japanese style innovation, high-end innovation, hmm. it's a good level of innovation wrapped in something that even if you didn't, didn't have the innovation, people will buy it, but you also have that, that gives you the extra edge. And I, th I think the point about that wit is that sometimes when you take it out of the context of Italy, it, it can lose its, uh, you can lose perspective. I saw uh, today I was walking around Milan, a brand new bright blue Lamborghini. 
And I think if I'd seen that anywhere else, like on the streets of Los Angeles, I'd say that is the tackiest thing I ever saw. But there was something witty about it okay. t- today okay. because it was in the context of the city. It, it worked. It kind of, it was surprising. <laughs> I, yeah, I see your point. I see yeah. your point. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I, I was fascinated when you told me that story uh, when you went to China about your interaction with the, with the tab company. Can, can yeah, you, can no, you, can um, you repeat There's that? one particular thing which I, it wasn't at all frustrating. I found it particularly funny. And uh, one of the first things, I think it was the first meeting I had uh, with the big Asian company, we're talking probably 12 years ago, 10 years years ago. Because they brought you across to teach Italian design. Yes. And um, uh, this particular anecdote, I find it particularly interesting. So I went there, met met in Hong Kong with the big boss, the owner of this huge, humongous company, Chinese company. And they had, it was himself in the center and the lineup of the top management of the company. He didn't speak English, so everything went, was translated by the <laughs> female marketing manager with a, in a very good English. So, of course, as you know, meetings get a bit boring because you wait and translate, it translates back anyway. So for a good an hour and 20 minutes, it's been all this back and forth. At some point, out of the blue, he, the big boss, uh, speaks on the, in the ear she was a bit embarrassed and very bluntly she asked me uh, my boss wants to know who you are of the company <laughs> and I'm like uh, I am the boss and he started talking to me directly in English and we finished the meeting for another hour in good English and the other guys were forgotten because although he had I think 15,000 employees and I probably didn't have didn't even have 15 we were bosses and could talk business and that of course I treasure this as a very pleasant and funny memory um, because we work so often abroad it makes me very excited on one hand because it's a learning curve. one good thing about this job is that you, you you learn a lot let's face it so to me talking to new cultures learning weird habits Yes, maybe momentarily you can have a 30 seconds frustration because you're focused and you want to get things done, but you look back and they're just amazing. And uh, yes, I would say that every culture has such a weird and completely, every company probably, completely different way of working. The the Chinese also have a very different approach to product design as well. Uh, I mean, an Italian company will put all its energy and effort into designing, and I think we're talking about TAPS before, like one amazing tap design but uh, I remember you telling me the story that yes um, the, 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 the you know, Chinese companies will will actually bring out every possibility variation yes. I must to, 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 I must admit that in the last 10 years this approach that I remember seeing so catalogs of taps or batware of all sorts under one umbrella I must be honest and it's changing a lot right the sense of brand consistency it, there's already there's already pretty cool exceptions in China, but also the middle companies are becoming more aware. I must admit that there's a fairly unpleasant trend in the world. It's got nothing to do with China. That creativity is, and I say it in the most frustrated tone that I can, it's becoming a little bit of a commodity hmm. worldwide. It's like the marketing world has realized how design how useful this design to sell and now the same way they buy photocopying paper and pencils 
they think they can buy design. So there's not much investment, maybe economical, yes, but in understanding, I'm, don't, I'm not, I'm not going to say the magic of design, we're not wizards, we're just consultants, but they literally... Uh, because they, it's a volume business, right? They, uh, they, yeah. they almost need design as a stock photo. Absolutely. And this, I must be very honest, it's not a Chinese thing at all. It's also an Italian thing. <laughs> uh, I must be very blunt and in your face, and you know me, I'm happy if I'm not popular, but there's something that's been lost in these last 20 years. Um, and yes, of course, the design business is thriving, but again, some companies that could be buying steel, cement and bolts and design with the same attitude, <laughs> which doesn't help the growth of the culture of design, also for the new younger designers mm. or in their own country. Uh, well, you know, it? I think seeing the success of Apple, a lot of companies, especially in the technology space, are trying to be design-led. And, you know, companies like Ideo and Frog Design have brought this idea of design thinking. So people want to, CEOs to understand design. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. How, how, what is the essence, do you think, that if you're a leader today and you want your company to be organized around design, what should you be focused on if you don't take the stock photo approach? No, 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 I, I completely agree. I have to say that uh, there's a, it's like a T-section in a company. When, when a CEO wants to bring design thinking in their company, you can spot in a second if he means it or if he read it somewhere during his master <laughs> lessons. And it's a literally 50-50. If he really means it, it's a very powerful tool. We often have to say are involved in our clients, the good ones, I mean good not for the, the invoices they pay, but for the quality, where we actually are involved in areas of their business where you wouldn't expect design because mm. the CEO wants to have a more lateral thinking, a different approach, and that's amazing and it's powerful. And whether we do it or someone else does it, it's fine. There's a good 50% that seriously, someone told him that design thinking is powerful and he can't wait to see me living in the parking lot <laughs> and uh, design for today, done. <laughs> and so this again happens all over the world. It doesn't matter of the size. It really met. It's the curiosity, true, sincere, honest curiosity of the management that makes the, the difference, to be fair. One of the companies uh, that you've started recently is uh, called Plus T. Yes, and uh, it's very interesting because it's a, a real convergence of, um, I guess, technology, design and performance wear, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's a, I'm particularly fond of this project and also because it's uh, design firm, a mechanical engineering firm, and electronical engineering, electronic engineering firm going together. Back, no back to your nerdy beginnings. Correct, Bravo. <laughs> I, I, it's a very, very nerdy project, correct. <laughs> and um, all of these three companies have very eclectic and well-established backgrounds and experiences. Uh, they've been working, we've been working with aerospace, automotive, high-end material manufacturing. So, really thick, rich background. And we've been looking in each other's eyes for quite a few years and we say, okay, where are we gonna bring all this experience in which direction? And we have launched Plasti, which is this box in which we are pouring, like cement, all our experiences, ideas, projects. And the first product is the one you hold in your hands. So it's this incredibly thin and uh, light, and harmless looking um, 
insole that has a lot of technology inside and allows you and anyone else because it's so thin that you don't have to change your, your shoes. They slot inside any type of shoe to keep your feet warm. Uh, waterproof. It doesn't matter if you're a hunter, a skier, a fisherman, hmm. a policeman, working on an oil rig. It doesn't matter. You and just what, what, them inside. What, what, what technology is inside this tiny thing? There's a um, battery, 3-axis accelerometer because the insole acknowledges, recognizes if you're walking or not. Right. So based on your activity, it starts itself or it stops itself to prevent uh, from battery loss. Um, so we've condensed fairly traditional technology in a package that didn't exist before and, um, and made it so easy to use. There's no connectors, there's no buttons. Yeah. If you want, you can control the temperature with through an app on your phone. So you adjust the temperature left and right and keep the, the level of comfort that you want. Otherwise, you just leave your phone at home, you go skiing, again, the insole starts itself. There's two temperature sensors built in, so the insole knows the temperature at the tip of your feet, where all the blood vessels are, so the, the tip of your feet gets warm, that's how the heat gets delivered through your whole foot. Right. And that's how also you keep the flexibility. And so it's been a fairly long journey. We have other two, we call them platform because also this, we call this platform because this has big potential in the development for the healthcare. Because unfortunately people with diabetes, very severe diabetes, um, not only they benefit from receiving warmth because you know, the circulation of the blood hmm. is very effective to the, po effective to the point that they have to be, have amputated limbs. But with the same technology we have, we can tell their doctor if they have walked enough or not that day. Because unfortunately, one side effect, psychological side effect of diabetes is you lose the will of, let's go out and stretch our legs. Hmm. You become more uh, lazy. And with this same system, we can warn the curing doctor that they haven't done their exercises, of course. Without, we don't want abuse of their privacy, but it's part of how you can help them. So we have developed this platform that will evolve in quite a few directions. What is extraordinary about this, of course, is that for a technological product, you can't see the technology. Correct. And uh, I mean, this is, I always believe it's one sign of the success of technology when it becomes invisible. But I think another part of this is that the smartphone has enabled mm -hmm. so many functions and modifications and customizations to now be delivered outside of the, the actual object. Absolutely agree. It, um, the project what had not started with, with, with the phone in mind and we introduced it halfway through the project and since then all the other projects we have in development are so focused on the, that device. It empowers madly uh, what you can do. It also, people are so used to give inputs and comments through the phone that it makes implementing features in other objects so easy because you don't have to worry about the interface because it's a common interface that is well-received. And effectively, you can deliver software upgrades. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Can great. you talk about, are there any other products you, you're thinking about you can talk about? Yes, uh, we can't say much, but uh, <laughs> there's... Um, there's a new platform that we're doing with, I can only say that uh, 
it's micro inflating devices so we can change the geometry of what you wear with these pumps that are literally the size of a, of a stamp is this a push-up bra you're designing uh, you, no, you're well, well, there's ladies in the room so <laughs> i can't nod like i would if we were by ourselves but it's a pretty incredible thing to watch and um yeah you have these tiny devices that you can wear and they can adapt to your body. Uh, I know I'm being, being cagey, but... <laughs> You're being super cagey. Exactly. And almost borderline embarrassing. And they literally just inflate, again, all fully controlled with your phone. So they adapt to huh. the, that part of your body. Again, no, 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 side, no second meanings. And that is quite exciting. Again, it could lead to... We're quite drawn, I have to say, by the healthcare business. I have to say, we... There's a um, second aftertaste that we really like in developing products that we can tell are improving someone's life. And this particular second platform could do a lot for people with severe blood circulation problems. Right. As you know, we're all getting old, starting from me and you. So we have to <laughs> build our security safety net, Mike. But yeah, no, 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 it is exciting. I can't go into details, but it is very exciting. And um, yes, yes, the, the, the level of technology and the fact that you can't see it, like you said, is probably one of the things where I, I'm, I'm the most excited. Well, we, people have been talking about the Internet of Things for a long time now. And, and of course, a lot of the companies that have been leading the way in it, like Apple and uh, Google, uh, have taken a very design-driven approach. But from a designer's perspective, what, do, what kind of challenges do intelligent objects bring in terms of the creation and the and the way you conceive of them? Um, I have to say that I have to do an extra effort to see the challenge because it's such an exciting thing that <laughs> I just want to embrace it right. 360. Although the, the, the challenge, challenge is out there. And um, um, the interface as a concept is a fairly complicated thing when you have to also preserve a shape. As a designer, we are paid to make pretty shapes. Right. So if you have to force on a pretty shape a clever, evolved, complex interface, it gets tricky. And completely randomly, it just came to my mind. As you know, we uh, designed the most famous coffee machines in the world, and we have just won an award, International Design Award, for the latest one we did, which goes back to exactly what you were saying. It's a big professional coffee machine. It costs like a car, but it has a 12, 13 inches. The whole front of the machine is dominated by this massive touchscreen object that was so imposing at the beginning of the project, I thought I would end up designing a fridge with a TV <laughs> on top. Instead, we've, we, fought, we fought so hard, also with the company, because it's been a very challenging uh, was this touchscreen your idea or that was part of their design? It was part of the brief, but it, was, it wasn't confirmed because of such a negative impact. And if I show you the photo, basically, this whole massive screen is cantilevered and jumps out of the machine. And it's become such a standing out feature that it won this award, right. this Red Hot Award 2016, because of that. So. Uh, yes, the challenge has been that for six months we had no idea where to put this juggernormous uh, screen because nowadays with coffee machines you can control anything, especially professional coffee machines. Hmm. 
it then became an opportunity, a an actual design opportunity. So, and then it goes back to what I was saying, super excited, um, controlling, dominating these extra complicated features. Once you manage to enhance the look, the perception of the product, well, then it's amazing. Yes. I mean, screens are a huge challenge for technological products today. I mean, uh, if anything, phones have become dull because they're just screens. And, and if your design parameters are make it thin and light, then you just have a piece of glass. Uh, there's no more design product anymore. I am very relieved that we haven't been designing TV sets for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> because it will be very frustrating nowadays because yeah. it's please design an object that I don't see anymore, basically, because <laughs> I don't want to see the frame. I don't want to see the pedestal. Uh, I don't know, blue tech behind the, the actual LCD metrics. So it is a bit tricky. And, um, but yes, it's absolutely the, 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 the way to go. These big screens are popping up everywhere and um, the prices are dropping. The features are becoming more and more important. Again, I was telling you before, these coffee machines, they talk via Bluetooth to the grinder and automatically decide how to grind coffee. It can be insane if you think about it. At the same time, if you think that a coffee machine can make up to 1,500 coffees a day, yeah. it's an actual monster of productiveness. We, we tend to see technological products as dominated by companies big enough to get massive scale. Mm -hmm. uh, but do you think in the next few years we'll see, from places like Italy mm -hmm. uh, and Europe, smaller, kind of almost craft-driven companies now developing technology using components for, from smartphones? I think so. That's my point. And I also think that there could be an interesting, or at least we are witnessing it, um, comeback of high-end manufacturing, right. uh, making things, physical things. So I step away a little bit from the software or non-tangible world. But we've seen in this country, and I'm sure not only in this country, but we're witnessing now, companies that make things that other companies have not been able to machine or glue or keep it together or stick it to something else. And it's a project that I cannot go too much in detail, as I told you before, but these eyewear projects, it's just insane. When it started and they contacted us, I haven't stopped laughing for a couple of days. <laughs> be, hmm? But now, after 12 months in development, uh, I'm as happy as a kid. And there's no software, there's no apps, there's no Pokemon Go's to, to go and catch. It's pure analog, right? Totally, totally. Uh, of course, uh, machined and put together thanks to a lot of technology because the actual CNC center that they're using comes straight from NASA, the, the, the level of quality, the software that drives right. it. So, he, oh, so, so in other words, you know, disruptive technologies reinventing traditional. Correct. Absolutely. Things. Absolutely. Uh, yes, it's got very, very good definition. Yeah. Listen, Val, it's great to see you. Thank you for being a guest on the show. And, Thank uh, you very much, Mike. And we'll have to do this more often. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks, Mike. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.